We're thankful for thoughts that Brother Gary has brought to us this morning as going through Exodus chapter 35 as he come across many of those places speaking of those that were willing I realize that I also had missed the great number of times that willing people is mentioned in that passage. And he mentioned about the people that was willing and the idea that here were some people that had seen the Red Sea parted. And why would those people not be willing to serve God if they had seen something that miraculous? Now, everybody here would say, if I saw that, I for sure would be willing to do whatever God would want me to do. We all said that, didn't we? If we, if we actually saw the Red Sea split apart, walls on either side, we go across, and then we see the greatest army on the face of the earth drowned and died, our enemy that was coming to kill us, and they're all died and gone, boy, I'd be willing to serve God forever and ever, wouldn't you? And let me tell you something that's a little bit more powerful than that. That's a lot of power, isn't it? But let me tell you about a little bit more power than that. What about the power that it took to raise Jesus Christ from the dead? Would you like to see that? That's even more power, isn't it? All right, now, follow me here. Here's a greater power, raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh, and by the way, if you want to know who's responsible for, for Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, was it God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead? Yeah. It was all three of them, all right? The unity of the Godhead. But if you go to Ephesians chapter 1 and you look at verses 18 and 19, Paul says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And notice this. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. The same power that caused Jesus Christ to be raised from the dead is the same power that gave you spiritual life and whereby you now believe in Jesus Christ. So if we have seen that power, you and I have actually seen more power in our lives than the children of Israel did when they saw the parting of the waters of the Red Sea. That's amazing when you think about it, isn't it? Why should we not then be willing to serve God? We ought to be, shouldn't we? Okay, let's get on to something else. Now that uh, various, a lot of good thoughts popped up in my mind and as I was going through that. <clears throat> Last Sunday I did something very unusual here, as y'all remember, and... I, I use as a subject a, a, a song that I couldn't get off my mind. It's number 151 in our book, Here Our Heavenly Father Care, our Knows. The name of the song is Our Father Cares. But that's, I've started the first line of it. The man that wrote that, J.F. Parker, was, was, to my knowledge, only wrote two songs that's in our book. And um, 
Well, I was sitting there this morning, I realized the thought on my mind is actually the other song that he wrote that's in our book. And it's number 217, The Bride of Christ. <clears throat> and I, every time I think of that song, in the original version, it's 217 in here, in the original version of this book, it was 226. And I remember that number very well because when I was a kid, Every Sunday morning, I selected that song. And we had a Sunday night service. And every Sunday night, I would select that song. And I'm sure after about five years, my aunts and uncles and every member of that church got so tired of that song, they hated to see me come in the door. But they were charitable, and they sang it anyhow. Now, this song speaks of the incredible beauty of the Lord's church and his kingdom. And that's kind of where I want to go this morning if the Lord would bless us for just a few minutes. But I want to start at this, going to a place that might, you might think is a little bit unusual. I want to go back to the book of Genesis and look at a promise that was made to Abraham. And if you get back into Abraham in Genesis 17 and 17, the Lord came to, to Abraham when he was... Uh, old and stricken in years, and he told him in, that he would have a son. And in Genesis 17, 17, you know what Abraham did when he heard the, the story, the promise from God that he would have a son? It tells in, in chapter 17, verse 17, and Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. <laughs> uh, and said, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old? Well, Abraham wasn't alone in that. If you look over in Genesis chapter 18, and you look in verse 12, when Sarah heard the story that at ninety years old she was going to have a baby, then Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also. Now, this has always been a little bit curious to me, the fact that both Abraham and Sarah laughed when they were told that they, would have, that they were going to be the parents of a son. They laughed. Now, you know, I think this laugh, we might understand it better, if you understand that a laugh can also be one in scorn. You know, from time to time, and I'm sure you all have seen this, but I've got emails in the past. I've got seen messages on Facebook in the past. And if some little message, something like this, forward this to 10 people and you will get $1,000 this next week. You know what I always do when I see one of those? Ha! That's crazy. I don't believe a bit of that garbage. Have you all ever done that? A scornful laugh? That is the kind of laugh that Sarah and Abraham had. It was a laugh of scorn. It was a laugh saying, this can't be so. This was will not so. This is not the truth. And then you know what happened? Sarah and Abraham, I'm not going to get into all the rest of the story. Sarah and Abraham had a son. They laughed about it. But they had a son. Sarah was 90. Abraham was 100. 
So the son was born. You know what they called him? You'll think y'all know, don't you? You know what, they, what his name is? Laughter. You got it. The, it's Isaac. In the Bible, that word Isaac, what that word means is laughter. So they called that son laughter. And can't you imagine every time as that young lad was growing up, every time they called his name, it was like laughter? You know what that would make me think? I laughed at God when he said I couldn't do this. Every time they saw him, it was saying, hey, God can do all things. God should increase their faith. All right, let's go forward real quickly in time. Now, here, here, Isaac. He has an older half-brother, Ishmael, and at two years of age, and probably two years of age, when, when, when Isaac is weaned, Abraham threw a big party, big celebration of this time. And Ishmael, Abraham's son with Hagar, who was probably 15, 16, something like that at the point. I think Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born, so he'd been... 15, 16, depending on the age of, of the time of this big occasion, this big celebration here. And Ishmael was making fun of Isaac. And so at Sarah's urging, Ishmael and Hagar were kicked out of the household. They had to go about their way. And we all know that story. All right, keep going on down time. And I'm going to skip some, some very beautiful passages in here and some great things that happen, particularly what happens in Genesis chapter 22 when uh, Abraham is told to take Isaac uh, up on Mount Moriah and offer him for a sacrifice there. A beautiful story, a beautiful picture of Christ, but we're not going to get into that this morning. Now, I might sometime. Now, if you come over further on, you'll find when Sarah was 127, she died. And by the way, I don't want to live to be that long, just in case you, you, you want to know. <laughs> That's plenty long. Now, if you're very good at math, when Sarah died, how old was Isaac? 37. She was 127. She was 90 when Isaac was born, so he was 37 years old. Mama died, and he's mourning. So Abraham says, it's time for me to find a bride for my son Isaac. So he sends, and this is now in Genesis chapter 24. You go over to Genesis chapter 24, and, and Abraham sends his servant Eliezer back over, out of Canaan's land, back into the homeland. He wants to find a bride for Isaac from his people, not from the daughters of Canaan, but from his people. So you remember the story, and again, this is, is Genesis chapter 24, and you remember as, as Eliezer goes into the city and he had got this great uh, uh, command and, and promise to Abraham to find a, a bride for Isaac. And so he hits on this crazy plan. He says, when I get into this city, where Abraham's people are. And if there comes a virgin out, a maid out, and she 
says, let down that pitcher. I'll give you water. I'll give your, your camel some water too. Let this be the one that is supposed to be the bride for Isaac. That's a crazy plan, isn't it? But that was how the Lord worked. That was Rebecca. But here's the point that I want to mention about Rebecca. And this is getting to the point of the parallel about the church that I want to bring out. Here, when Eliezer met this young lady, and she told him, you know, let down your pitchers, let me feed your, your animals. It says here in Genesis chapter 24, in verse 22, and it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of a half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels of weight of gold. He gives her this beautiful jewelry. Now, I don't know exactly. I could look it up, but, uh, you know, my idea about how these bracelets are of ten shekels weight of gold, I don't see how she lifted her arms up. Those were of great value. The earrings were of great value. I can only imagine what they would have looked like. You know, if somebody's going to spend that much money and, and on the raw materials, don't you think they'd have spent enough to make them look very, very nice? Beautiful jewelry that was given to her. But there was something else. If you turn over here in Genesis chapter 24 and look at verse 53, it says, And the servant, this is Eliezer, he brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold. We've already seen a little bit about that, haven't we? And raiment. So he brought, as he came to this city where he was to find Rebekah, who was to be the wife of Isaac, he brought all the jewelry and all the clothes that she would need. Brought all these as wonderful, expensive gifts unto her. Now, we know the story, how she got her parents' permission. She went with Eliezer, and as a father, I would make the statement, what was this man thinking? <laughs> to let his daughter go off with a stranger? And so they load up, get on the camels. Here's Eliezer, the servants he has with him, and here's Rebecca. And now they're getting back to the homeland. And here's Isaac working out in the field. And he looks up and he sees the caravan of the camels coming in. And then Rebecca looks out and she sees a man in the distance. She sees Isaac in the distance. And she says to Eliezer, you know, who is this? And he said, it is my master. So Rebecca got off the camel, put a veil over her face. And then she went out and met Isaac. And what I want you to think about, when Isaac saw her coming, do you think he recognized who she was? He had never seen her. You think he recognized her? I think he did. You know why? And I'm going to maybe stretch things just a tad bit. 
I think he recognized and knew exactly that this was his bride that was coming to him because I believe that everything that she was wearing was what he had sent with Eliezer's servant. You remember the point I made about all the jewelry and all the raiment that was brought? So here when, when Rebecca was coming to her bridegroom, coming to the groom, coming to Isaac, as the bride was coming to groom and they were coming together here, everything the bride was wearing had been provided by the groom. And I said, well, why is that so important? Well, let me explain it by going to Matthew chapter 22. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 22. And I promise I won't stay here for more than 30 minutes. And then we'll go to another verse. I, Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 2. Here Jesus Christ is speaking. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth... Wait a minute, wasn't we just talking about marriage just a few minutes ago? And the idea of the marriage between Isaac and Rebekah? So here's a king that made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. And he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold... I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed, and all the things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went to their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. And by the way, if you really want to know one of the things Jesus Christ was talking about him, he was talking what had happened to his church in the past. As the Lord's people came, especially when the Lord came, and the Jews, when they saw this coming, when the prophets of old were sent, they were, were abused, and they were killed, and they were murdered, and everybody that, took, that God the Father had sent, the people rejected. They weren't very willing, were they? Now, now he said, the remnant took his servants and treated them spitefully, but when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Now, what he's talking about, and you, you want to find the context, go back into chapter 21 of Matthew, where he's talking about taking the church away from the Jews and giving it to the Gentiles. He says, Then he saith he to the servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. Now, in this day and time, when you had a wedding ceremony like it's a wedding feast, a marriage feast, what the king would do so often that he would have a robe, a garment that were very similar for everybody, and he would provide one of those for everybody that was there. So every guest that was gathered there would have the same type of robe on. I don't know if it was the same color or not, but they'd all look the same. They'd all have garments that were very similar as they came in. In verse 11, he says, And when the king came to see the guest, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment. wonder why. Why did this man not have a wedding garment on? 
You know, the king provided them. Everybody that came in was supposed to take one. I'm sure this man was offered one, but he didn't have one. You know what he was doing? He was showing a great amount of disrespect to the king and what the king had provided. Now, there's a parallel here between what I've just read to you in Matthew chapter 22 and what I see with Rebecca coming to Isaac. Now, what I'm talking about is the church. We are blessed today. The church has been taken away from the Jews. And the church has been given to the Gentiles. And I'm real happy about that because I'm a Gentile. We're all Gentiles here this morning. The church has been giving unto us. And when you and I are gathered together here in the church, what are we to wear? No, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference what God wants us to wear. I mean, it's just church. You can do whatever you want to, right? No. You see, the Lord has provided the garments for his bride. He's provided the jewelry. He provided all the adornments for the church. And for us to say that it is not important for what God has given the church is to be just like this man that was found at the wedding feast without the wedding garment. And if you read this story further on in Matthew chapter 22, this man was cast out by the servants into outer darkness. He did not have a good ending to his experience that day. The Lord, the groom, has given wedding garments to the bride, to you and I, to the church. Everything that the church needs, the Lord has provided. You know, there are some, let me rephrase that, there's a whole bunch of people out in the world that says the church, the church that is serving God, you know, you need to add, we need this or that. You know, I don't know how many times I've had people that tell me that the problem with the old Baptist church is we don't have any activities for the kids, we don't have a Sunday school, we don't have this or that. You know, I've tried to do some patient explaining to those people when they tell me that. Sometimes I've ignored them. I'm, I'm getting to a point where I'm tempted. The church doesn't need that. The church already has everything that we have. It already has the beauty of the Lord. We have everything that we need. In that song I mentioned, the 217, let me just look at the very last verse of that song. Now this song, The Bride of Christ, continues further on than, than just the visible church that we're seeing here upon the earth. But in, in verse 3 it says, And when she, the church that, that the Lord has given the bride, when she adorned with all his grace shall be exalted there, no queen with all her glory here was ever half so fair. Friends, the church that God has given us here today, the church that we will enjoy in heaven, is greater than anything that we can imagine. I'm sure all of you have been blessed to be in a service of God and where the very Spirit of God came down so richly and so great 
that we were so all lifted up in the spirit and you saw beauty everywhere. You saw beauty and you didn't want the service to enter. God in his blessings has given the church everything it needs. Oh, when you can be blessed to hear a minister of God get up and proclaim the unsearchable riches of God. You can hear about the glories of God and the Trinity, which we can't understand. And you hear about the grace of God. You know, I remember kind of relating to what Brother Gary mentioned a few minutes ago. I remember when I was a kid and a little older when I first started studying the Bible and, and understanding what the preachers was talking about and vision with preachers, there was a number of, of preachers I heard to say that that we have just rocked people to sleep in the cradle of grace. And all we preach is grace, grace, grace. We need to preach a little bit of duty every once in a while. Well, I'll tell you what the truth of the matter is, in my humble opinion. We may need to preach great, uh, duty just a little bit more, but you never can over-preach grace. You can preach grace all the time, and you'll never get finished preaching about the grace of God. The goodness of God, his grace to poor sinners. When you can come to church and, and you have a burden and have a, a problem on your heart or a concern about something, as we mentioned last Sunday, here our Heavenly Father knows every need before we ask. Aren't we thankful we serve a God like that? I'm so thankful for the church that God has given us. You know, so often... We're not very willing to come to church, are we? We're not willing to see the beauty of the church. But friend, when we understand that the church, you and I, the church isn't this building. The church is you and I. We're the bride of Christ. We're adorned with grace. We're adorned with jewels. It's better than anything that this world has to offer. Yes, the church is wonderful and beautiful here. But I know something better that's coming. That world to come. We're going to be decked in an unbelievable way as a bride of Christ when we go to heaven. I don't think it's possible for man's words to describe the glories of heaven. You can imagine in your own mind the most wonderful thing about heaven. All right? Now follow me here. Set in your own mind what you think heaven's going to be, how wonderful heaven's going to be. That it couldn't get any better. And then multiply that by 10, okay? And then it's going to be a whole bunch better than that. <laughs> Heaven is going to be so much better. The bride of Christ is going to be decked with unbelievable blessings and glories. You know why? Because grace has been given to the bride. We need grace. And we've been abundantly blessed with the grace of God. May God bless you.